Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Runaway Return from the 1991 album Steady Diet of Nothing is singer, guitarist, and songwriter Bob Nana of the band's Braid, Hey Mercedes, Lifted Bells, and The City on Film. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really psyched to be here. I'm a huge fan of of, of the show. <laughs> That's <laughs> a little awesome. nervous. That's awesome to hear. Um, I the my first question to you, Bob, is yeah. the burning question on everyone's lips. And I apologize if you've already addressed this controversy in other outlets. But my friend Jay pointed out to me that in 2019, Mercedes Benz launched a voice assistant feature in their cars called Hey Mercedes. My question is, yes. uh, what the hell? Are you getting paid for this? What's going on? They didn't even, they didn't ask us. They didn't talk to us. They could have at least been like, yeah, we're going to do this. We think it might be a fun thing. Maybe if we had one of your songs in a commercial or something like that. Um, but no, nothing. Oh Not a God. word. Those Not bastards. Word. I know. Jerks. I mean, it's got a car, maybe a car or something <laughs> would be nice. But yeah. No, it, it's funny. I, you know, obviously a lot of people have told me about that and asked what I thought and you know, I don't care that much. It's just, it's funny. You know, it's a funny inside joke, I guess, for people. I saw a couple of articles about it, and I don't, I don't think they brought you up even. So you're, you're not getting due respect from these car guys. I also wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, of course, I'm, I ask uh, all of my guests about their relationship with Fugazi and how they first got into them. But that might tie into something else I was curious about um, because okay. I had Andrew Lowe of the Jazz June on the podcast before. Yeah. And, you know, since you two kind of occupy a similar place in the emo pantheon, in my mind, like, uh, the question is, our mutual heroes, Ian Mackay and Guy Pichotto, were famously pretty hostile to the term emo back in the day when it first yeah. came up, uh, although they sort of pioneered the subgenre. Um, right. What's your relationship with the term? I, I imagine it's something that you sort of embraced early on when you, when you got into music. I really it actually was, and I think it might have been one of my first what you know AOL chat names was emo Bob Friction, which was the <laughs> band I was in at the time. So clearly, it wasn't something I was embarrassed about. Um, but uh, you know, so I was you know I I was surprised when it became known as something a little more disparaging towards certain bands, and we felt the brunt of it, especially from some of the more hardcore bands that we were playing with. But um, overall. I am cool with the term. I've never really had a problem with it. Um, but, you know, also I never, other than having it be my AOL name, <laughs> I never went out of my way to push it as like, I don't know, a, a, a badge of honor. Yeah. But it was just sort of what people wanted to uh, call it. And, you know, you know, bands like Fugazi and bands like, you know, Hoover or even Jawbreaker, to me, would qualify as emo, but you know, it, it's just so subjective. Other people would have other other things to to, to say about that. But yeah, it, it, you know, it was a label I, you know, embraced at least in theory. Yeah, it's it's always been so confusing because yeah, I always thought of you know Jawbreaker, Hot Water Music, like that's kind of emo, and then the yeah. the way it got used later on is like, well, I don't think this word is meaningful anymore. Kind of. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, but uh, so speaking of which, were you uh, like into Ian and Guy's projects before Fugazi? What around what period did you become introduced to them? Well, I um, 
grew up in, I, I'm, I'm, living, I'm in Chicago right now and I've lived here pretty much my whole life. Um, when I was growing up in grade school, I started to get into, I've always just like, I've always been sort of an outsider in terms of the music I like compared to the general, you know, consensus of, in my school or whatever, or in my community, I suppose. Um, so I started getting into metal, like when I was, you know, in seventh or eighth grade, and it sort of went into hardcore a little bit. But it wasn't until I moved to um, the suburbs for high school where it moved more into punk and in the sort of, into sort of the melodic post-punk of it all. So when I was getting into hardcore and stuff, definitely Minor Threat came across my, you know, uh, my ears, and I was into it. And so once I went to college or not college, uh, high school, and this was in 1989, I uh, found some people that were you know, like-minded musically. And one of the people there said, hey, you know, Ian Mackay from Minor Thread is in this new band, Fugazi. And they're, you know, I liked hardcore, but I was a little more into the more uh, melodic sort of uh, bands. And so they sort of knew I might like Fugazi a little more than than Minor Threat. And um, yeah, they were right. So we, uh, I got into Fugazi, it was 13 songs, you know, a lot of your guests mentions that they mentioned that they thought that that was actually the first album. I'm guilty of it too. I thought that was the first album was 13 songs. Sure. Me too. Um, yeah. And then, um, you know, once I got to this, to the suburbs, there was a real thriving scene and, you know, you could call it emo, but it was definitely the sort of seeds of emo. I hadn't really heard Rights of Spring. I hadn't really heard Embrace at that point in time. But once uh, I got, I latched onto Fugazi. Um, my friends and I really, really latched onto Discord in general. And any, you know, they had these really iconic ads, these iconic Discord ads that would show up in Maximum Rock and Roll or, you know, some of the zines at the time. And we would just buy whatever they put out, like literally anything they put out, whether it was like, you know, Shutter to Think. Jawbox, all of that stuff, we would just soak it all in and be like, well, if, if they're cool enough to be on Discord, we should listen to them or, right. or give them a shot. So we would buy the stuff. Um, but then luckily, because you know we were tuned in to just what was happening, um, in 1990, um, Fugazi came to Chicago, and I got to see them play um, in, in Chicago on my 15th birthday. Wow. So it was June 14th, 1990, and they played a place here called Medusa's. Uh, it's not around anymore, but it was this big complex of a, of a building that had a bunch of different venues in it and that they were, you know, they played the big room. And so I'm assuming my mom or someone had to drop me off and some friends or something to, to see them play. But I was so um, moved by the show. I mean, you know, people say they see Fergazi for the first time and it sort of changes their trajectory or like changes their life. And it definitely did for me. I left that show and it was in June and then it was in August where my, I, I played my first, my first show. Like as soon as I left that show being like, I need to start a band and, and play a show and do this. I was just so motivated. Wow. It's like a Velvet Underground for our times. Like that's what they, everyone says about that band too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, just, I'm curious to know who leaves those shows, like what percentage of people are just like, wow, I could do that or I want to do that. Or I was so, you know, they made it like such a, a real community event, even at that show. And up until that point, I had really only seen like metal shows yeah. or, you know, stuff on TV where it's just, you're so separated from the, 
from the band on stage and most of the guitar players are like virtuosos and they're, you know, they're a little standoffish. They're not very friendly. And so, you know, maybe that instilled into me that I wasn't, because I'm not a, I'm sort of a shy person by, by nature, but I wasn't ready to like get up and start preening on stage with a, with a guitar. I, I wasn't really into that. But even though I was very musically inclined, but once I left that Fugazi show, I was like, I, I need to do this and I can do this because they just proved that I could. And it, during this show, at one point, they brought people up on stage to play their instruments. Like it was, it was that like one-to-one being like, they want people to leave here and be like, start a band. You guys do it now too. And yeah, I did. Did you get to see them more uh, over the ensuing years? I did. Luckily, you know, well, after that, you know, you leave that show being just a, a super fan. And um, anytime they came through Chicago, I would see them. And then once I went to college in Champaign, Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, you know, if they came to Champaign, I would see them if they came nearby to Peoria. Uh, I saw them in Bloomington, where Illinois State is. I think I've seen, I I was trying to figure out how many times I've seen them, and I think it's seven, because I've seen them play then a few times here in in Chicago at a a roller rink uh, two times, and then um, once at the Congress here. Oh, at the Congress. Yeah, I love their penchant for playing... um, you know, ad hoc venues <laughs> that are not not usually used for, you know, punk rock concerts. No, absolutely. And the what's I also saw them play here this place called the Aragon Ballroom that is very much known for you know big concerts. And I remember that being a little controversial. And I, I've heard them talk about that show before because it was I don't know maybe they were they just weren't comfortable with the amount of I guess freedom or control they had to give up to play a play that place but i think at the time that was the only place that could hold the whatever four thousand capacity or so that they wanted or needed at the time mm-hmm. um but then i think it might have been through steve albini once they became friends with steve steve helped them find you know alternative venues like this big roller rink yeah. or, or a, a theater so that was cool you know one thing i wanted to mention is the band that opened the my the first fugazi show i saw was this band called Trenchmouth, mm-hmm. and the drummer of Trenchmouth is was fred armison who's you know right i was like where do i know that name from right fred armison yeah so they you know they were a chicago band and i was a fan of theirs too i think i might have bought their seven inch at that show but i you know oddly recently ran into fred armison and i don't you know i've met him a few times but he doesn't he wouldn't know me from just any random person on the street but i told him i said you know that show that you played with Fugazi was really, really important to me. And he was like, yes, he remembers it. I, it was very important to him as well. Um, I mean, how do you, I don't know, how do you forget it? <laughs> really cool. There, there's a guest I need to have on the show. I'll say this about yeah. Fred Armisen too. I saw him open, like doing a stand-up set. I saw him open for Les Savvy Fav in D.C., and oh, it was okay. amazing. Like I was, I was like, "This is such a great opening act." Um, he he really killed it. He totally knew his audience, and exactly, was, yeah, sort of like just roasting, you know, hipster kids in the crowd. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I watched that. Like whatever, it was a comedy for drummers or something. Yeah, uh, that was amazing. Yeah, but, I mean, he just because he knew the funny jokes. Like you know, how many times you're gonna drop your little the. The nut screw on top, and I don't know. It was just like, yeah. I know. By by the way, at the time when I first saw Fugazi, I was a drummer. Okay. So yeah. 
So I went out and got my set. Yeah, I I don't know if I if I knew that you were a drummer back in the day. Cool. Yeah, the first the first band serious band I was in was called Friction, and I sang and played drums. Nice. And we did some touring, but yeah. Well, um, Bob, thanks for joining me to talk about uh, a song from Steady Diet. It's a Runaway Return. The only thing I'd like to say right off the bat, by way of introduction, and I want to give a hat tip to a friend of the show, Rudy Baines, um, who pointed out to me, I guess I had forgotten this because um, I hadn't listened in a long time, but there's a song by Happy Go Licky um, titled Peterbilt, and it seems that that is the origins of the song Runaway Return. There's um, it's, it's like an, an early sketched out version of uh, of the song so i'll put that in the show notes for people to check out if they haven't heard it um there there's some lyrics that seem to be the same and then some that seem to be different in interesting ways so could be an interesting uh point of comparison there for yeah uh, that's really cool yeah. I, I tried not to do too much you know i didn't go on to the um your facebook page to i, I just wanted to like come at it without any you know doing too much online research about this stuff so i didn't know about that but that is cool yeah, fair enough. Uh, and I invite you to uh, have at it, man. Like, what's the first thing you want to say about Runaway Return? Well, the reason why I chose this song is because when I saw them play um, when I was you know, 15, I knew everything. I knew I was a super fan. I knew all 13 songs. I knew all of Repeater at that point in time because this was on the Repeater tour. So, you know, every song they played was just a, a hit to me and the crowd went nuts and I went nuts and I was just having the time of my life. They played one song that I didn't know. And I left the, the show being like, okay, that song has got to be on their going to be on their new record. It has to be. And the one, you know, obviously you're going to leave the show thinking it's the ashtray song. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's talking about this ashtray, ashtray, ashtray. And I was like, Oh my God. And you know, I, my, my mind was blown. I was like, this is a new Fugazi song. I can't believe it. And so then um, uh, that's why I chose the song, because I was just, I heard it first live and was so tuned into it as a, a new song. And so, yeah, so when I came out, when Steady Diet came out, you know, I get the record and I'm, you know, scanning the back for Ashtray, Ashtray, okay, it's not on here, but it's got to be one of these songs. And uh, lo and behold, it was Runaway Return. Yeah, uh, according to the Fugazi Live Series website, it looks like in 1990, uh, February 11th was the debut of Runaway Return. Um, yeah, interesting. So early Steady Diet song. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously something that's been kicking around for a while with Key. Um, yeah. With Happy Go Licky, for sure. Did it Did it mainly grab you uh, because it was it was something you didn't know yet, I guess? Yes, and it was something that I could hear and latch on to. Like I said, the lyrics were pretty clear to me, at mm -hmm. least that first, you know, the, the, re the repeated line. So, yeah, that was my, um, that was why it stuck with me. But, you know, it, it, within the context of the set, it, it was, you know, it, it fit right in as well. It wasn't like the whole crowd just like went silent and waited for them to get to waiting room or something like that. <laughs> right. Um, everyone is just still going nuts because, you know, the song has, you know, you don't really just stand still yeah. during a Fugazi song. Yeah. And it is a really interesting repeated line out of the ashtray into the ashtray. 
like ad nauseum. It's it's like this weird little mantra almost. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, those sorts of things invite you to uh, think about what they mean. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So out, like out of a crappy situation into another crappy situation, I suppose. Yeah, I thought I, you know, obviously I've, in prep for this, I've been thinking a lot about that line, you know, walking through the park into the ashtray, out of the ashtray, into the, you know, like walking, you know, to doing the dishes, into, you know, just trying to like, whatever, just at least having that part going through my head. Um, I, yeah, I initially thought, yeah, it is, you know, I thought of it in terms of like out of the frying pan into the fire sort of thing. Definitely. Where, you know, um, you leave a situation maybe hoping it's better but it ends up being just as you know bad Mm -hmm. um and then i also um thought about it the other day and was thinking about well what if it's taken literally if it's somebody like you know smoking or something a cigarette you know into the ashtray out of the ashtray into the ashtray out of the ashtray into the family car and maybe the point of it is just like the just the you know the monotonous mind-numbing repetition of whether it's a work week or just, you know, a life in general where you don't feel like you have, um, I, I don't know, some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? That was, that was another way I was looking at it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't stop to consider, like, the literal implications of that. But, yeah, absolutely. If you're just, like, chain smoking, yeah, leaving a lit cigarette in the ashtray for a little while, picking it up, smoking it some more. I've... I've never been a smoker, so um, maybe it's it's not one of the first things that leaps to mind. Well, no, and you know, I've never really been a smoker, e- smoker either. But my when I was growing up, my dad was, was a smoker, and yeah. so I thought a lot about you know we could talk about you know the the father sort of son thing that's happening in the in the in the lyrics as well. But you know, I would assume that my house growing up smelled like a big ashtray. And it's crazy how things used to be back then. Like I know, yeah, I've got my, a picture. Yeah. <laughs> my grandparents and aunts and uncles smoked, and it's like, what a crazy world! Like I can't can't believe it used to be that way. I know, indoors in the basement, no ventilation, kids running around everywhere. It's a picture. My mom, you know, quit smoking pretty soon after I was born, but there's a picture of her holding me as a baby and she's smoking. It's just like, right. way to go, mom. Th- thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I definitely, um, you know, he repeats it so many times. It must mean something important to him. Yeah. So it's, it's important, I guess, for us to um, and, contemplate what that could mean. And I do agree that it's important to, um, I mean, the fact that he, uses the word son in here to say like welcome yeah. home misplaced son um that immediately brings to mind a few things for me um okay and I, I wouldn't be surprised if if you went there yourself i mean so first of all the prodigal son um of course as as told by jesus h christ very much the gi Pachoto of his day <laughs> exactly <laughs> do you like do you feel like that's a well-known enough thing that we have to explain it no, I don't think I don't think so. It's funny, you know. Yeah, Jesus H. Christ, the yeah, the he was probably pretty emo. <laughs> probably. Hey, some yeah, but... s- some people's iconography is uh, Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. Mine is Guy Pichotto hanging from a basketball hoop. The, exactly. I was showing that to my friend. <laughs> yes, friend yesterday, being like, yeah, Fugazi, just the most photogenic man on earth. Like, <laughs> look, look at this. 
get a load of this. Yeah, I know. But watch I mean, Jesus do this. <laughs> anyway, whatever. yeah, but maybe it is worth outlining a little because I think the song "Runaway Return" is is not the opposite of that, but it is. It's sort of like a, a middle, um, middle way reaction to it to me. So, so mm-hmm. the, like the story basically is of this parable is that the uh, uh, you know wealthy father has two sons. Um, the younger son asks for his share of the inheritance early, and you know, the father agrees to like divide his estate, gives the younger son all this money, and the younger son like goes and lives abroad and just blows it all, and like you know whoring and and all kinds of irresponsible behavior whatever and he like he comes to ruin basically and ends up working as a swine herd i think it was and then uh finally he decides i'm gonna go home i'm gonna return home and throw myself on my father's mercy for being so stupid uh and uh i i think he doesn't even get a chance to like go through his speech the father is just overjoyed to see him and welcomes Mm -hmm. him back with open arms and you know, gives him finery and and uh, feast and whatnot, and the older brother's Spice, a little pissed spices off. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, frankincense, myrrh, all the all the good exactly. Bible stuff. Exactly. Um, and the older son is a little miffed, like like I was. I've always been a good, loyal, responsible son, and uh, why are you making such a fuss over this one? And and the father's like, well, uh, we we should rejoice because he was it was like he was dead and now he's been found right he was he was lost now he's found and uh that the whole thing is like an allegory for uh god uh taking sinners back and you know with with limitless mercy and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so i mean that by itself is a fascinating point of comparison just if you want to like um compare the two stories here because yeah we have our the runaway returns uh as mm-hmm. it says in the title um and it's and it's not that um the family scorns the runaway or anything like that uh it they do they say welcome home um but right. like the circumstances are a little different like they they also seem a little bit cool about it like they weren't worried about him they're they're having a party that he that he's yeah. um stumbled in upon it's like oh hey what are you doing come and sit down so like they kind of welcome him back but it's almost as if they haven't been thinking about him or worrying about him Um, exactly yeah yeah i definitely felt that i mean you know coming from that angle uh, about a son sort of running away um and in fact this is funny i've listened to them play this at the show I was at. So I got the live series of, of six fourteen ninety at Medusa's mm-hmm. and right before they play this song, I uh, kid you not. He says 14 years old, runaway return. And then he starts playing, they start playing it by the way. And I just turned 15. So I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> but no. Uh, and so, you know, I assume, right. It's about maybe, you know, I'm just, we'll just say for kicks. It's him. You know, it's sort of a personal sort of song about his, uh, childhood and maybe running away from home because of you know it being an ashtray but not really finding much solace in the world out out there but coming back and then also being like hey guess you know guess what we were doing when you were gone having a party nothing right. like we weren't even we care the um the other thing though is and i think maybe it's the parallels drawn there on purpose you know if we think about it as as not the child who's running away but but a father who's, or, 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 you know, sort of a head of a household, 
you know, smoking and doing this repetitive thing, you know, because it's sort of like out of the ashtray into the family car, into the family's arms, putting on your working shoes and your working suit and giving it. And they keep saying weekender or geek keeps saying weekender, which makes me think like that maybe this is just a person who's just has nine to five and then is like disappears for the weekend. Yeah. Comes back. And it's like, you know, it's here, have a seat, you know, and then it's back, back to the ashtray, you know? So I, it, I don't know. Yeah. It is like a, as a portrait of a 14 year old runaway, that would seem odd, right? That it's talking about putting on a suit and, right. And shoes and, and, uh, going to a day job. Like that's not what I picture a teenage runaway's life looking like, like maybe, maybe <laughs> no, he gets some kind of crappy little job, but not a job where you wear a suit. Yeah. No, it's it's funny and it's hard not to, you know, when you're doing a deep dive into a song, kind of put yourself in a situation. And I thought, have I ever sort of like, quote unquote, run away from home? I'm not, you know, and you could answer this too. Like, I don't, I'm not, and I've actually never like run, run away with, you know, like a sack on a stick or something like that. But I've definitely like stormed out of the house as a, some sort of, you know, teenager, probably 13, 14, gotten some argument. And I'm, I'm leaving, slam the door. And then you just go, you know, sit around the, you know, go into the backyard and find a place and sit and hide and be like, they must be, pit- they must be really worried about me. <laughs> and then you, and they come back and they're just like, oh, so you're back. And you're like, Darn it. You got me. <laughs> well, one of the various uh, intertextualities I wanted to bring in is a song by your band Braid called Divers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there seem to be some lines in there that, uh, that ring out a little bit, right? You're there's it, it again, explicitly is talking to a son and, um, please come home is a line. Yes. I still love you, but I guess it's unconditional. Um, this, this seems to, uh, have a lot in common with the prodigal son and runaway return to me. Are you saying that braid was trying to, uh, rip off or at least, uh, imitate fugazi if, you, if so you're absolutely right you're right on the money there um no yeah that that's a really great thought i didn't even think about that divers is a song most of the lyrics were written actually by chris broach who ah, i see spoiler spoiler alert i think you might be talking to um soon but um uh and you know this the actual song title divers was sort of a play on the word divorce oh okay so yeah it's definitely about sort of his experience you know, growing up in that sort of in that, yeah. in that sort of household, but yeah, interesting. Well, I guess I'll yeah. have to uh, pick his brain a little about that then. Yeah, definitely, you should. Um, but yeah, so, so I thought that was interesting. And another thing, uh, you know, just simply that word "son" uh, ricocheting around in my head made me think of a song by Rites of Spring called "Hidden Wheel." Uh, oh yeah, where the angry son? Yeah, um, and it's it's. I, you know, reading the lyrics over again with Runaway Return in your mind, uh, it sort of seems a little similar. Um, is this the first time I've seen the color of this room, he's asking? Is this the first time I've seen the size of these walls? It's like somebody speaking about uh, returning to a place that he hasn't been in a long time. And uh, yeah, right. It, it, the At the end of the song, it says, I'm the angry son. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack there, I think. I definitely. I'm not sure if there's any there are any interviews where Geet speaks about his fa- father or his family or or, or something or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I you know, I don't know how interesting. You know, I, I guess I would be interested because um, you know, in prep for 
doing this. I, I listened to the All of Steady Diet too, just to hear Runaways return in you know in its place on the album, and the song. This and uh, Latin Roots, especially, were just ones that were just so personal. <laughs> like oh, yeah. that, I, I that maybe Guy doesn't. I, I can't think of another song, another Fugazi song, where it's just so clearly about something and so so personal, and maybe almost not unFugazi in a, in, a, in a way, but just you know, tip how you would think typically on Fugazi, but like. Yeah, I was just really moved by Latin by, by listening to Latin Roots again mm-hmm. too because yeah, you, you hear just new things and put these two songs together and I think it makes sense. The you know since we're talking about the the lyrics, um, the chorus is um, a little the chorus vocals are bizarre. Such an interesting choice, right? Yeah, such a really interesting choice. And I, I actually was thinking like, um, have I heard songs that have employed this technique? And I found two that, that do exactly that, but it, but in reverse. So, um, you know, obviously uh, in the chorus of Runaway Return, the first go round of the chorus, he's just picking out words from the chorus and singing them. First time you hear the song, you have no clue that that's the case mm-hmm. until you know. And then you hear the second half, and he's filling in the lines, um, which I think is kind of brilliant. It's I, I it's just it's it, I don't know. I thought it was really brilliant and maybe something I didn't pay attention to or you know think was that special when I first heard the song, but especially re-listening to it, I was like, this is really interest, an interesting choice. Um, the two songs I thought of that do this, um, one is very Fugazi-esque and one is very not Fugazi-esque. Um, there was a band um, here in the Chicago suburbs called Gage when I was, uh, this is when I was, you know, in, in high school. And they were, they were like our local Fugazi. And, mm. you know, they... They had the same setup, you know, the, the guitar player, Kevin, um, had an SG with a Marshall and they sounded a lot like Fugazi and their shows were like lit, you know, but only here in the, in Chicago, like it was just insane seeing them play. Um, they have a really fantastic song that's called King Soon Swing. And there's a bridge part where, um, the singer, um, his name's Scott sings just words and he sings one line breathe, soon, turn, on, gone, and then it goes, do, 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 and it repeats. But he, he removes the first word. So the second time, it's not it's not one line, it's just line, turn, on, and then the second time he removes line, and the first thing he says is breathe. And it's just a really cool, it's a cool thing when you're listening to it and you catch it and you're like, I get it. You know, and maybe a lot of people don't, don't get that. There's probably a lot of songs like that, that there's like a, wink that not a lot of people are going to get but if you do you're like yeah that is a cool choice yeah um the, i'll just real quick tell you the other one was uh there's a you know relatively recent song by they might be giants called erase and it's it's despite i saying it's not being like fugazi it's kind of has a almost fugazi or you know more baby braid like sort of um vibe to it because it there's um Allusions to things being deleted and mm-hmm. erased, and there's a chorus that says, um, "You put one box on the sidewalk, and then you return with the next, and the first one's gone. 
everyone gets on a bus out of town and the lights start going off one by one. And so he, that's the chorus part. But then like the last time he gets to the chorus part, he omits words. So he says, um, put box sidewalk gone in place of where he should be singing the full line. He says like, you know, everyone bus light. So he's like literally erasing parts of the chorus the next, the last time he gets to it, which is just, you know, it's a very cool, they might be giants thing to do, but it's also an example of, um, you know, playing around with, you know, here's the line. Let's, you know, take out certain words of it. Yeah. I can't, I couldn't think of any examples myself. I feel like now that you mentioned it, I have heard that um, They Might Be Giant song, but I have to re-listen to it now. Um, yeah. There's, um, what's, uh, who am I thinking of? Oh, I think it's Bill Callahan, and it's not the same thing. Oh my God, it's, I, it's, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> it's the most brilliant fucking thing. You're thinking of I, Too I, Many uh, Birds? Yes, I am. It's like, <laughs> uh, oh God, don't tell me. It's, um... It's well. It's like the um the high school yearbook thing where somebody would write like oh, I if. I hope says, yeah, I hope yeah. that yeah and it's like he does oh, that with that. the last lyric to his uh to his song and it's yeah if if you could if you could stop your heart it, he, but yeah and it just it goes on for so long because he's got to get to the end of it and you're like oh my god he's gonna add a word what's the word <laughs> yeah I love it it's that's I did too I I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, it's it's certainly a different thing, but I don't know. Yeah, it feels in the same family to me. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's so cool. And something else that really actually just occurred to me as you were saying that was um, something that I was going to say about the, the music in this is like the main riff. Yeah. Um, it's like call and response guitars. And it's almost as if they're doing the same thing because in the beginning of the song, it's like da-da-da, da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And then it's only later where the there's the a response guitar part yeah and it's it's kind of the same thing that the lyrics are doing in the chorus that way um i it's i'm not sure if that was like an intentional match but um yeah Mm. just just occurred to me yeah i didn't really i didn't think about that too but um but yeah that's yeah Hmm. i hear it for sure i wanted to mention you know once they get to you know the you know that sort of goes through the verses when they're getting to the chorus and they they start doing this thing where they're playing noty things but that sometimes are dissonant mm-hmm. with each other and when braid was a band whenever we would have a part like that we would say it's like you're being attacked by bees so it's like, like, you know, back and forth. And it's it's sort of like as if maybe they were, they're playing the same line, but one of them is playing it a few beats behind, you know? Yeah. Um, it's an unsettling feeling for sure. Hmm. But it's definitely something I, I noticed in here, the uh, the swarm of bees. If you're going to be a rock band at some point, you got to bring on the swarm. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Whenever we would see <laughs> bands, we'd be like, oh, swarm of bees. Or if the band was out of tune... We would say it was like a, a cat's on stage, meow, 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 meow. Like, <laughs> and I got, I got to mention this. Um, if you listen to "Runaway Return" being played um, at the show where I saw them, Fugazi, they are way out of tune. It, they're so, it's really out of tune. Cats on stage meowing. When Boss released the Tu Two, that's uh, it. Really changed the game for everyone, I think. 
<laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, well, exactly. You know, we talk a lot about, um, or you, you talk a lot, we, we talk a lot about, you know, Ian not having many pedals. Did he have a, does he have a tuner pedal? I think he might've had the same one that Guy had on top of his amp. Um, de- yeah. Definitely not a pedal. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think he, I think he had the tuner on top of his amp. I'll have to I'll have to look through some photos. This is something I should know. Well, maybe, but yeah, it, it is something an interesting thing. Um, I I feel like I'm jumping around here, but uh, no, that's fine. You know, like um, having things on top of their amp. I, I have to mention that you know I saw them play twice on the Red Medicine tour. I saw them playing Peoria, which was I mean an an awful show because the crowd was so terrible. Just they had to stop every song. It was really bad. And then I saw them the next night at the roller rink in Chicago, but um, they played the song version. You were saying like, Oh, if you saw them play a version, that's yeah. that was a pretty rare thing. Um, Gee plays like clarinet or something on it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, he had it sitting on top of his amp for the, for the set. And I noticed it. And I think they might have ended with version, and I was—I didn't love it. The choice—it um, was just long, and, and maybe that's why they didn't end up playing it too much. But then the next night, um, you know, they set up and they put the clarinet on top of the amp, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> oh god, another!" But you know, I—I I, you know, I, I say this with love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no, we're getting another version. Oh no, that's hilarious. Um, we, we should probably talk about the quote unquote bridge of the song. Sure. I, I, because I, um, yesterday in the car, I was driving some friends to a friend of the friend's house and these are friends. Um, I, um, appreciate their opinion on music a lot. I mean, uh, they're, they're great and they know Fugazi a little bit, but definitely not with the sort of fervor that I do or depth that I do. They did not, we're not familiar with the song. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be doing this podcast. I sort of want, I want your opinion on this song that I'm going to play for you. Yeah, fresh take. Um, cool. Fresh take. And, um, you know, they, the first thing that um, my, one of my friends said was, the cymbals, I don't like the way the cymbals sound on that. And I said, okay, yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> They're, you know, the, the, the sort of production on the record is something that people talk about, you know, being turned off by. Or, yeah, there's controversy. And then um, uh, the other, the one other thing they said was, it sounds good, but it sounds very repetitive, and it sounds like a band just like kind of figuring it out, and like maybe one of their earlier songs before they hit their stride. And I was like, okay, I, I understand that it is kind of repetitive. And then the last thing was just like that middle part is too long, the quiet part, mm-hmm. because it's just I. It's it's one it's like one note. It, it's not all one note, but it's just it's they're just sort of hitting one note, and nothing really interesting is happening during that part. And yeah. It goes on too long, to the point where I watched a bunch of um, live videos of them doing this, and Geese started singing over that part, hmm. that like quiet part where you know it's just quiet, and then he hilariously says "Welcome back," which I I think is pretty funny actually. Um, but yeah, so it's just that really quiet part that I just, I mean, I know, you know, it's, it's, it's blasphemy to say, but it almost seems like they didn't, it's like a throwaway part. 
Yeah, well, to me. That, it's funny because I was going to say it seems like the kind of thing that was really created with a live show in mind and yeah. not so much to be on a record as something somebody could just like listen to in their car and be like, oh, that that's great. But as as something, you know, the kind of dynamic thing they really valued in putting oh, on yes. a live show. Um, and I like I think there's there are certainly several other moments in their catalog that are like that. It's like, oh, they like that. It, it it's just a, <laughs> it's just a document of something they made to do live and um and to be effective live. It bears out though because I let you know I didn't remember all I remembered about the song was the ashtray, but I remember liking the song and being excited for when it came out. So I mean, it definitely proved that proved out as in like that part was probably blew my mind as a 15 year old to just hear this, this loud band get really quiet and then just erupt. Um, Did you watch many of the live versions of those? I watched a handful and yeah, I was, I was feeling like the way it it comes back in the end is much more effective live. It, It doesn't, it's a little bit flat on the record, but like live all of a sudden you're like, okay, I see what's going on. They're just like really jamming out at the end and it's, and it's pretty great actually. Yeah. And did you notice, I watched a few of them and this happened in every single one throughout the entire song up until welcome back, Ian standing completely still. He's not moving at all. Until that, until welcome back, and then he sort of he goes goes off. But the whole song, he's just stands still. I don't think I noticed that. That's fascinating. Check it out. I was just like, wow, that's weird that he's just standing there, as in like just get to the end, get to the end, or so. I I don't know. I mean, and then I so watched doing the video. John Entwistle routine. Uh, well, yeah, except for at the end, instead of you know hiding in the corner, clutching <laughs> his whatever guitar, he's taking part in sort of the jubilant cacophony there at the end. But I thought that was really interesting and, you know, sort of a fun thing if, you know, you're a band like Fugazi that plays obviously so many shows and, you know, having certain parts or certain things that you just get used to doing, whether it's, you know, um, intentional or not during parts of songs that it just becomes, that's what you do during the song because it's just what feels right. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I've, been in a couple of little bands in my time and and yeah like i've noticed a tendency to sort of act physically similar in certain songs as if i have like a little routine planned out um like that's some choreography yeah it's like ridiculous to describe it that way but but yeah i get it um and some you know speaking of the live versions and and as compared to the recorded version something that you probably noticed, and something that uh, listeners pointed out on the uh, Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page a couple times is Brendan shouting in the beginning. Yes. Yeah, obviously he does it on the album, but he does it live as well. Yeah, that's always a, a little fun part, and I'm just glad they included it in the in the album. Yeah, I am too. You know, in you know thinking about Steady Diet of Nothing and hearing some of the you know, in stacks where Ian is like singing into his guitar, you could hear it. And they're, I feel like they felt maybe got a little loosey goose in the studio. Mm-hmm. And so like if Brendan wanted to, you know, yelp um, a few times or like do a little hep, hep, hep at the beginning, like <laughs> go for it. Pick it up, pick it up. Exactly. <laughs> you know, speaking of jumping around to, to bring it back to something that I mentioned at the beginning, um, 
th- that uh, I just wanted to compare it to that Happy Go Licky song Peter built, and I I couldn't find the lyrics to that written out online, mm. but in like watching uh, a video of them playing it, listening, I'm um, I'm pretty sure that there is a line that says, "You could have meant something to someone." Well, it's not me, son. And huh. so, like, as as an example of a direction that the song could have gone in, like, the total opposite of the the prodigal son thing. Yeah, it, like, it continued to make me think when I was pondering the lyrics here. Like, I wonder if that is the way the parents feel and, like, they can't react in too negative a way because they're they're in the middle of a cocktail party their friends are there so like they're saying oh welcome home why don't you sit down and like after our friends leave we're gonna have a real talk buddy Um, (laughs) you know and and it's like it's just a sort of awkward scene yeah that's so interesting i didn't you know i wasn't aware of that um lyric or that song but yeah just the sort of um I mean, something that Guy's been sort of kicking around for a while, this sort of idea of a parent being disappointed or something in, in, in their child um, yeah. for one reason or another, and him sort of maybe feeling that or finding it poignant to write about. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I don't, I don't get the sense that it's something you're ever going to hear Guy talk about openly. Um, I don't he, think so. B- but... Um, yeah, it it's interesting to kick around these ideas, and um, uh, I I'll, I'll I'll get to this later. But um, it was uh, interestingly written about by friend of the show Chad Clark in Washington City Paper a few years back. But uh, I'll I'll get to that a little later. Um, I think okay. it's a good time now to talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Bob, it seems like. You've listened to the show before, and you know that what we try to do in, in an arguably ridiculous way is if we think of the Fugazi catalog as a spectrum, and if you can think of the best songs and the songs you like the least and as a spectrum of one star to five stars, um, could you assign a rating to Runaway Return? I can. Uh, unlike some of your guests, I really do enjoy rating things and putting things in order and um, it is so, kind of uh, a music geek thing to do, as hard as it is sometimes. I I am so guilty of of of, of that, but um, so yeah, I'm ready and will, ready to do it. I I'll say that I wanted to. Well, I'll say that when I got the record, and I, I found out, okay, this is the song "Runaway Runaway Return" that they played. I was a little disappointed in the recording. I just had such a emotional response to them playing it live. I wanted it on the album. Yeah. And so that sort of, you know, made me remember the song with some uh, fondness, but also some sort of, you know, uh, weirdness or, or an odd feeling. Um, but once I started listening to it again um, in preparation for this and really like dissecting it a little more, it made it go a little bit higher on my, because Guy's vocal performance is snarling. It's really intense on this song, like really, really intense. I don't remember it being that way. Like, you know, when I've listened to the song so many times before. Um, But then like, it's so funny yesterday when I was playing it for my friends and they were saying, Oh, the, the, the chorus or the um, third part. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm just, that's sort of an odd choice. 
So that brought it down a little bit. Maybe I'm, I'm procrastinating here, but uh, I think I'm going to go with 2.7. That's that's remarkably close to what I was thinking, actually. Really? Um, I'm I, I I feel like I'm agreeing with most of your sentiments. Um, I'll, and one other thing is, I'm always a little disappointed when Joe doesn't get much of something interesting oh, to that's do. That's true. Uh, and and I think it speaks to a, something larger in this song, which is that um, it in some ways it doesn't feel fully like a Fugazi song. It feels mostly like a Gi song, which is understandable now that I um, realize or remember that it kind of started out um, and took shape a little bit before Fugazi was even around. I, w- I wonder if um, in some ways that uh, affects how I think about it, but it's like, um, mm. yeah, it, like an older song that was rejiggered and doesn't like holistically feel like it's, it's, it's all members f- firing on all cylinders. Um, Totally it's, understand that. It certainly is a nice spotlight on Guy, though, and yeah, like we said, interesting choices in the in the chorus, and and there's a lot to unpack in the lyrics. I I think I was actually gonna say like two and three quarters, two point seven five. So like let's Hi. let's let's put it there and and just sort of shake hands on that. <laughs> That's um, great. Yeah, it's one of those that I always wonder too. Like maybe if they recorded it. Uh, on a different album uh, with a little more dynamics and let that the return the welcome back part uh, come through in a little bit more you know a way that was more close to how they the energy they put into it live yeah maybe it would have risen in my estimation but um, there we go with with ratings and uh, I'll, I'll give the folks on the alphabetical fugazi facebook page a chance to chime in so uh, Dallin McDougall says, this is a five-star song for me. I've said here before that Steady Diet is my favorite album. I don't have the same issues with the recording that others do. However, this song is probably one of two instances instances where I feel like it was lacking. There's the quiet part towards the end where it slowly builds up, and when it kicks back in, it just sounds the same as it did before. In live versions I've heard, it feels like it builds up and then really exploded. The recorded version just kind of lacks that, but despite that, this is still a catchy-as-hell favorite of mine. So yeah, it sounds yeah. like we're on the same page there. Um, Will Rockwell Scott says, I love it whenever you can hear Brendan's voice at the beginning of a Fugazi recording. You know it's going to be a banger, like in Long Distance Runner and here. <laughs> Gonzalo Leva Bastias says, I always wonder about Guy's songwriting process for the songs on Steady Diet, because it seems to me like all of them are very similar in this time period. I would always get Runaway Return and Exit Only mixed up as they both build up and then release on the verses, and the vocals share a lot of their pacing. That's true, they do. Yeah. Uh, Colin Bain says, it's a personal favorite. I love how Guy eliminates almost all the words the first time the chorus comes up. Um, Yeah, uh, very cool part. And Colin also pointed out um, Chad Clark's article, which I had read before, and um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. He writes this little essay in Washington City paper in 2017. um, And yeah, has just sort of an interesting take on it and um, about... uh, two singer bands and the roles that we assign to each singer in our heads and how, you know, Fugazi can defy that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting one to read. Uh, check it out, folks. Uh, Kona Neutron says, such a ripper, economy of motion in the riffs, great usage of space, one of the more underrated Fugazi songs for my taste. J.J. Uh, Sorensen says, a song about a suburban youth who flees home then returns, feeling like an outcast amongst a disapproving and conformist family. 
my favorite part is Brendan shouting and keeping time at the beginning <laughs> between the blasts of guitar. Um, yeah, both in the studio version and just about every live version I've seen. Yep. So thanks for your comments, everybody. And uh, like it, it, it seems like it seems like in aggregate, I feel like people feel kind of the same way. There's some people who really love it. People who feel like yeah, maybe it could have been better. Different choices made, but um, you know. I was gonna say, you know, Ian doesn't sing at all. Yes, yeah. does he? And so he can just stand there. He could just stand there playing, you know, the part live. He doesn't have to go up to the mic at all. <laughs> I feel like Ian, uh, n- you know, needed a break sometimes. That's true. If you watch as many Fugazi clips on YouTube as I do in the course of making this podcast, like, man, <laughs> you just look at Ian and his, he's like, you know, four songs into the set and just dripping with sweat. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's crazy. He's a hardworking performer. Yeah, yeah, and so and obviously they all are, but Gee is too, but in a different sort of way. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity for for Ian to dial back the intensity a little, I guess. Yeah, take a breather. Yeah, well, uh, it's come to time. That's that's a weird way of saying it. It's come it's to the come time. To the time. <laughs> it's come to the time to talk about plugs. For listeners, uh, where can they, you know, hit you up or check out the new stuff you've got going on? Um, what's happening with you? Um, a lot. I, you know, you can find the, most of the stuff just going to bobmando.com. But uh, I put out a solo record last year called Celebration States that I'm finally going to be able to do some shows uh, behind um, coming up in the next few months, and then there's some um, dates next year. So I guess you can keep an eye out for me touring, playing some shows. Um, I helped co-found the website called Downright, D-O-W-N-W-R-I-T-E, where you can commission music from uh, art, from songwriters that are on there. And if you go to the site, you'll probably see a lot of people that you recognize. Because um, when my um, friend Mark Rose and I um, started it, we immediately just, you know, went to our phones and just started calling everybody it's like do you want to be a part of this we're building this thing be a part of it so definitely check that out um i'm sort of doing my own alphabetical journey this year um during the pandemic last year i took the um, opportunity to really help to to better catalog all the music that i had been working on for ever it's it had just been you know scattered along hard drives and just here and there and I wanted to just consolidate it. And then I thought it would be fun just to kind of count it down alphabetically from like, you know, A to Z. Um, so I've been doing that online and doing it on my Patreon as well. It's just sort of talking a little bit about each song um, and linking to it. And um, so that, that's been a really fun thing to do. There are, a lot of, all of, um, there are a lot of unfinished songs on there too that I'm letting people hear uh, as well and just, just sort of getting it out there. And then the very, very last thing is, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but I do a podcast every week called Bob's Top 5 that I don't think anybody listens to, but it's fine because I, I still do it. I, what I do is I listen to as many new releases that come out on a given Friday, and then I pick a top five from you know of, of new songs that... I don't know, impressed me enough that I wanted to, sh- that I want to share. And I, you know, I count them down because, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. We're, we're, we're music geeks. We like to rate things or, or rank things. Yeah. So, yeah. So every week 
it comes out on uh, Tuesdays um, on iTunes, but it comes out on Fridays for the Patreon folks. And, you know, it's literally it's a buck on Patreon and you can get access to that. Um, but it, it's it's really great. It helps me keep up with all of the new music, which I really, really want to do. And so the fact that I don't think many people know it exists and I do a really poor job of promoting it, I still do it because it's just fun to to to, you know, find new stuff. That's it. <laughs> that is awesome. I was just thinking that I was like, I, I bet there's a podcast out there that could help me like in, in digestible chunks keep up with what's going on because I feel like I'm one of those people who's like drifting into middle age and all of a sudden I'm not keeping up with the new stuff. Like, yeah, even even like the cool <laughs> alternative uh, as we used to call it stuff, like let alone yeah. sort of pop music. And like, I would, I would prefer to be at least aware of, of more things. So I'm going to go ahead and subscribe to that. Thanks. Please do. I, I started doing it because I wanted to start making um, mix CDs for my nephew who had like, a, was basically a newborn. And I thought, you know, instead of making him a mix CD with like Fugazi on it or the Beatles or Dylan or whatever metallica right i would rather be like oh these were songs that came out while you were you were here yeah like this is a song for these are songs from this year that i just thought were special and i pick 20 every year for for his like cd it's not really a cd anymore but i'm keeping track of it he's um i think he's gonna be 10 10 or 11 this year i should know but um yeah so whenever he wants to start listening to these who knows if he'll like any of the songs but um that's why i started doing it so that's a really sweet idea. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Bob Nana, thanks so much for joining me. Um, really fun talking to you, and um, I'm I'm glad to count you among friends to the show. Um, welcome aboard. Thank you, Ian. It's just my pleasure. Such a fan, and psyched to have my my small part. <laughs> <laughs> Virtual high five, man. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah, listeners, as always, you can reach me. The email address is fugazi a to z at gmail.com and hit me up about whatever you want. And you can join the Facebook group if you want. Uh, give us some of your comments about songs we've got coming up. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing Shut the Door. Until then, keep your eyes open. Let's go.